Welcome to the Relationship Church Podcast. When thinking of fine jewelry, we often don't give much thought to the lapidary. Who's lapidary? They're the ones that turn the raw gem into a beautiful stone through the minuscule cuts needed to refine the rock. In today's message, Changing Your Story, Ryan Neal shares how the same story with a different emphasis can change your view. Second Chronicles chapter number 15, verse number one. And it says, now the spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. Asa was the king. And he said to him, hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to God, of the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in, but great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the land. So the nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversary. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Amen. Somebody just say, my work shall be rewarded. All right. I want to talk to you all for just a little bit of time today uh, from the, the topic, changing your story changing your story. God is changing your story. So the book of, and we'll do a quick little Bible study, but don't let me lose you. The book of First and Second Chronicles are similar in many ways to the book of First and Second Kings. A lot of the same stories are told over again. The book of Chronicles really just kind of goes back over the book of Second Kings and seems to pick out certain things that it wants to bring more emphasis or detail to. Uh, this is a type of writing that is kind of well known in the Bible because it's the same thing that happened in the book of Genesis. When we look at in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form. And then in the chapters after that, he goes back over uh, that and begins to talk about each day and how God created each day. So in that same way, first and second Chronicles goes back over many of the events uh, that were discussed in first and second Samuel and as well as first and second Kings. Uh, I've read through all of those, First and Second Samuel's, First and Second Kings, First and Second uh, Chronicles, uh, in close proximity to each other, and found that much of Chronicles, uh, it, it really seems as though somebody just picked up whole passages and just placed them. Uh, today we would call it cut and paste. Uh, today we would call it plagiarism. Uh, but back then it was fair game, and so a lot of Chronicles is that way. But when you study Chronicles a little closer, you will find that the focus of the books are different. The study of Chronicles shows you that it takes on more of a spiritual view of things. And one of the reasons I say that it takes on a spiritual view is because the whole point of Chronicles is it's talking about the building of the kingdom, I'm sorry, the building of the temple, and it, it has a big focus on uh, the temple, temple worship, rebuilding the altar, and those kind of things, whereas the book of Kings actually focuses on the kingdom uh, from a natural standpoint. So it's talking about the kings. That's why it's called the Book of Kings. It chronicles all the kings from the northern temple, from the northern uh, uh, kingdom and the southern kingdom, and it's really focused on that. 
Uh, but the book of Chronicles, again, it is more taking a view of spiritual things, of the of the building of the temple. Uh, and so, well, so uh, the build, so a lot of it, excuse me, is the building of the temple. It takes more time and space than does the kings to talk about the building of the temple. So why is it that I say that it takes a, a, a kingdom view of things? Well, for one, after Solomon died, there was a break in the kingdom. And there was a civil war of sorts. There was a Northern kingdom, as I said before, which we called Israel. And there was the Southern kingdom, which was Judah. The writer of Chronicles almost completely ignores the Northern kingdom, uh, seemingly because it's so wicked. So he almost just completely ignores Israel and focuses on Judah. Uh, the Northern kingdom never had a good king after Solomon's joint kingdom. They had kings like Ahab, who let Jezebel rule with him. Jezebel is talked about even in the book of Revelations when it speaks about the seven churches. It talks about a woman who was a false prophet. And they said that she was like a Jezebel, saying that she was leading the people astray and into sexual immorality. Jezebel is mentioned 13 times in 1 Kings and six times in 2 Kings, but not one time is she ever mentioned in the book of Chronicles. It's because, again, the northern kingdom was so corrupt that the chronicler decided essentially not to even include anything about that kingdom much at all. The southern kingdom had some bad kings, but also had several good kings, as you may know. Much attention is given to the southern kingdom in Chronicles, but special attention is given to the good kings. <coughs> Excuse me. So much attention is given to the good kings. Chronicles gives prom. Uh, prominence to kings like Asa, the one that we just read about, Jehoshaphat, Joash, Hezekiah, Josiah, the good kings of the south, the kings that led people into revival. You see over and over again in the scripture that the children of Israel would go astray and then God would bring them back. Why? Because a good king would come. Before that, we had judges. A good judge would come and lead the people back into revival. So in Kings, the history is given again from the vantage point of the throne. Chronicles is given from the vantage point of the temple or the altar. In Kings, the palace is the center. And in Chronicles, the temple is the center. About six chapters is given just to building the temple and the prayer that Solomon prayed when he was dedicating the temple. We all know that prayer. Lord, if your people who are called by your name will humble themselves and pray and, and seek your face and turn for your wicked way, he said, will you then hear from heaven and heal their land? The next chapter, God answers and says he will do exactly that because the focus of Chronicles was the kingdom, was the altar, was revival. So again, Chronicles, is a later account of many of those same things, but it gives special attention to certain things. Um, especially Kings is a history from man's viewpoint. Also Solomon, but uh, Samuel, excuse me, first and second Samuel, but it's a history from man's viewpoint, whereas Chronicles is a history from God's viewpoint. Now, let me give you a couple examples. I want you to stay with me because we're actually going somewhere with this. It's not just history for the sake of history, but David, when he should have been at war, we all know this story, right? He saw Bathsheba and Bathsheba was fine and he saw her bathing and he said, I got to have her. And it would have been, it would have been fine from man's viewpoint, but he got her pregnant. And so then, uh, of course, you would think the thing that he would do is come clean about it. But no, he decided not to come clean about it. He decided that what he would do is he would bring Uriah home from war, send Uriah to tro go try to sleep with his wife and do this grand cover up so it didn't look like it was him. 
But then Uriah, being so faithful, just slept outside of the king's gates and said, I cannot be here resting when everybody is out fighting because he was honorable. So what did David do? David took a letter, uh, essentially sent Uriah with what he didn't know was a suicide note, delivering a note to the temple, I mean, sorry, to the army captains telling them, hey, have me killed. Uriah did it because he had um, integrity. He had integrity. So he literally uh, carried his own note saying to execute him. And, and David, at the hands of all of this, was David. That was in first, we hear, we hear about that kind of story in first and second Kings. Same thing we hear from King Solomon, David's son. He was a good king for the most part as well. But the scripture tells us that he disobeyed God in one area, which was that he wasn't to marry strange women. Now, these strange women, brothers, are not like the strange women we encounter today, because I know for me, I dated a lot of strange women before I met my wife, but this is not the same kind of strange women. We're not talking about weirdos. We're talking about strange women uh, with regards to women who do not know God. These were women who, who uh, were God knew specifically for men that, that joining up with the wrong woman had the tendency to pull you away from him. And so he told him not to marry strange women, but Solomon didn't listen and went from being the wisest man in the world to marrying all kinds of idol worshiping women and his wisdom turned to foolishness. Solomon began to worship false gods. And this was eventually what led to the split in the kingdom in the North and the South. And we even see that today in, in the Middle East with regards to the things that went on there. I say all of that to bring your attention that Jezebel with all of her mess with all of her killings of the prophets and idolatry, David with all of his sin, adultery, and murder, Solomon with all his strange wives who turned his hearts to idols and split the kingdom in two are never mentioned in the book of First and Second Chronicles. Why? It covers the same time period. It talks about the same people much of the time, but First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel, again, are a man's view, so to speak, whereas Chronicles seems to be more of a godly view. First and second Chronicles is, is what I like to call God's telescope view into the history of Israel. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see our mess, but he sees his blood. I can see back even to the time where uh, Ezra, they believe it was Ezra or Nehemiah that wrote the book of Chronicles and saying to himself, well, shouldn't I include this? And shouldn't I include that? And God saying, no, 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 no. Don't put that in there. This is a book about the power of God. We're not going to give a lot of attention and focus to the things of the enemy. I, uh, I, I know that uh, I have been in positions at times where, you know, you see uh, a woman, it could be a man, but most of the time a woman who uh, is, is like a homemaker. You ever seen somebody that can just cook anything, just make anything, just always know exactly what to do, just very what we call domestic. I remember wasting something in a shirt I had and this lady, uh, this older lady that I knew, she said, oh, don't worry about that, baby, I got something that'll get that right out. And she just dabs at it and then puts whatever baking soda and she gets it right out. And that's how I imagine uh, uh, it going when it was time to write the book of Chronicles. Like, no, we've got Kings and we've got first and second Samuel to give an example and show you how God can deliver you and show you how sin can ruin you. But here in the book of Chronicles, we're not going to talk about that. Here in the book of Chronicles, we're going to talk about the, the goodness of God. We're going to talk about the good things of God. And I almost see the writer as he's writing the book and questioning why God is not giving him uh, uh, the ability to put certain things in that 
book, I imagine God saying, don't worry about the sin because I've got something that'll get that right out. Don't worry about the stain. Don't worry about the nastiness. Don't worry about how bad this thing looks. Don't worry about what David did. Don't worry about how nasty Jezebel was. Don't worry about how Solomon did the things that he wasn't supposed to do. What I want you to focus on is the glory of God. I want you to focus on the goodness of God because we're not going to give no space to the enemy. We're going to focus on the goodness of God. And I don't know about you, but I've been through some things in my life and I've got some sins that I need God to get out. If you've got some sins and you think that something that you have done is not covered by the blood of Jesus, you are wrong. Because Chronicles was like a type and shadow for us to show us that even though these negative, nasty things happen, that when God looks at it, when it's from the view of his grace, when it's from the view of his glory, when it's from the view of his love, see, man looks at it like kings and it writes all of your negative history. But God looks at it like Chronicles and he gives very little room for the enemy to try to bring up your past and try to bring up your failures. And that's why condemnation is not of God. God provides us conviction, but he does not condemn us. God provides us the ability to understand that we are wrong in a certain area, but he doesn't want us to focus on that because the view of the temple, the view of the altar is forgiveness. The view of the altar is the blood of Jesus. The view, the view of the altar is the fact that the power of God is greater than anything that the enemy could allow to happen or anything that the enemy could bring into your life, anything that you could avail yourself of that the enemy brought. I don't care if they're still talking about what you did, it's covered. I don't care if they're still gossiping about what you did, it's covered. I don't care if it's still bothering you and coming up in the back of your mind and making you crazy because you keep thinking about all the mistakes that you've made and the things that you've done. Well, God said, I knew about that and I still called you. God said, I have rewritten your story with blood. I've rewritten your story with my blood. I've rewritten your story with the nails in my hand. I've rewritten your story with the crown of thorns that came through my head. I have rewritten everything about you because now I don't have to look at you and see sin. I get to look at you and see the blood of Jesus. Micah put it like this. You will have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. David said, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgressions from me. It is because of his mercies that we are not consumed. It's his compassions that fail not. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness towards us. So let's get to the text really quickly. Asa was the third king of the southern kingdom and the first good king that Judah had seen since Solomon. He was the great grandson as Solomon, and in fact, it's probably very likely that he was alive, at least as a little boy, during the reign of Solomon. Asa did, at least in the beginning, what God wanted him to do, and we begin to see the first revival that happened in maybe 40 years, after 40 years of evil reign. He did what God wanted. He took away the idols and the altars. He broke down the high places. He cut down what the scripture called the groves. He took down everything that they were using for idol worship. And he said, we will seek the Lord again. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to do the law and the commandments that they once knew. Every revival in your life will always begin with a word from the Lord. 
God has already covered our sins through his son, Jesus, but he's calling for us to return to his word. He's calling for us to repent from the things that we have done, to repent from the lies that we have believed. And it's funny to me because I was just uh, reading something the other day and it was talking about how the greatest failure of our generation is that we care too much about what we think when the word of God has already been written. We want to talk about what we think. We get so lost in what we think and the way that we want things to go that we forget that God has left something with us that seems to confirm itself over and over again that it is his word, but instead we would rather believe a lie because it feels better. We would rather believe a lie because it's better for our conscience. We would rather believe a lie because it puts us in a place where what we are doing is okay. We would rather believe a lie because it puts us in a situation where we feel a little bit better about the sins that we carry on with and the lifestyle that we live and the way that we act. And I'm guilty myself if I'm going to be quite honest with you, but the word of God has to be our mirror. It has to be what we look at and say, do I really measure up? Not what Nancy thinks, not what Thomas thinks, not what Billy thinks, but we have to ask ourselves, do we measure up to the word of God rightly divided? And when I say rightly divided, I'm not talking about what you think you want the word of God to say. I'm not talking about what the old saints made the word of God to say that maybe was even a little too strict and God wasn't saying it. And I'm not talking about what the newfangled saints want to say that the word of God says, where they just take it and make it fit whatever they want it to say. But I'm talking about what the word of God really says when it identifies with the spirit that is down on the inside of you. The Bible says to try the spirit by the spirit and see if it be of God. This new life that we're called to live is not about biblical vocabulary and an ability to quote a scripture or a supernatural familiarity with the word of God. I know you know about Daniel and the lion's den. I know you know about the story of the three Hebrew boys, but who cares? Because guess what? So does Satan. What I'm talking about is a relationship with God. Do you have a relationship with God? I don't care about your shout. I want you to know how to pray. I don't care about your tongues. I want you to have true worship. God says, I don't care about your tears, but I want to know, will you follow hard after me? The devil cares nothing about your knowledge, but he cares everything about your application. So God issues a call to us today. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. He wants us to be sold out for him because of the love that he has for us, because of that view, just like that view that Corinthian or that uh, Chronicles takes of God's people, not giving so much attention to the things of the enemy, not giving so much attention to the mistakes you made. But God said, I covered your mistakes with my blood. So why would we continue to rehash old things? All you got to do is repent. But the forgiveness is up to me. And I'm going to forgive. I'm going to cover you in my blood. The thing about the enemy that makes him so conniving is that not only is he a lurer, he will lure you into sin, but he's an accuser. So he will do everything that he can to keep your mind on the first Kings, second Kings type of thought process. The mistakes you made and all of the consequences you had because of it and all the problems and the different things that you had to go through. But God is saying, no, no. Don't allow the enemy to lure you in with his sin, and then he'll turn around and point his finger at you. You ever notice that? 
The same enemy that lured you into sin, the same energy enemy that made you feel like, well, maybe this is okay. The same enemy that, that broke down your spiritual wall that you had brick by brick and, and slowly but surely pulled you into sin and took you further than you wanted to go and kept you longer than you wanted to be there. He's the same enemy that will literally turn right around and point his finger and wag his finger at you and say, shame on you. You should have known better than that. You should have done better than that. But I serve a God who said, no, I might provide conviction, but I will never condemn you. My love would not allow me to condemn you. My love only says, I love you and I want you to do better. So conviction, because a lot of people get confused about this. Condemnation says you'll never get it right. You'll never be whole. But conviction says you can get it right and I'll help you do it. Condemnation says shame on you and you ought to just stay home from church. God can't use you because look at what you've done. Whereas conviction says, just repent. God is faithful and just to forgive. Con condemnation says, you've gone too far. You went too long. You may as well just keep on sinning. But conviction says, just like Jesus said to the woman caught in the act of adultery, go thy way and sin no more. While we were yet sinners, the scripture says, Christ died. He didn't wait for you to get it together. He didn't wait for you to look better. He didn't wait for you to, to get yourself to a place where you were no longer sinning and then say, okay, I'll save you. He knew you couldn't do that. If we're going to be quite honest with ourselves, it's hard to live for God with the spirit of God. It's hard to not yield to sin, having the spirit of God down on the inside of you. And sometimes we get discouraged because we think because we struggle in a certain area, it means we're not saved. But I come to tell you that the fact that you're struggling is what shows me that the spirit of God is on the inside of you. Because there was a time that you just sinned and you didn't care. But the fact that there's something down inside of you convicting you, something down inside of you saying that you've got to get it better, that's what shows me that you're saved. And we've been taught for so long that unless we was perfect, unless we did everything right, unless we checked all these boxes, unless we could go to bed at night saying, I just didn't sin at all, and I didn't do anything that I think was against the word of God, then instead of that, we were saved. And I'm not trying to give us a license in any way to sin, but what I'm just telling you is that God knows your struggles. God knows the things you need help with. And sometimes it, it may not feel good to struggle, but God will reward you for, for just believing that his word is his word, regardless of how you feel. Christ died while we were yet sinners. Because he lives, that's what allows me to be able to face tomorrow. I don't know about you, but I'm going to face it with a renewed confidence. Why? Because his blood said, I am washing away your sins. Because he said, I'm pulling away your iniquities. Because he said, all of the, the, the bad conscience and the things that made you feel so bad and the things that made you feel worthless, he said, allow my blood to wash over you. He said, I'll bring you times of refreshing. And because he lives, because his blood was shed, I can face tomorrow. But I don't know about you, I'm not willing to just face tomorrow. I'm going to conquer tomorrow. I'm going to face tomorrow with renewed confidence. I'm going to face tomorrow with a renewed hope. I'm going to face tomorrow with joy and rejoicing. Because why? I've got a fresh start in Jesus. I've got a fresh start. Why? Because he said, I am not focusing on your sins. And sometimes the problem with us is that we focus too much on our sin. And because we focus so much on our sin, not only does it lead us just back into the same sin loop over and over again, because one thing I'll tell you is that what you focus on is magnified. 
when you focus on something, that's like putting a magnifying glass on it. So if you're constantly focusing on your mistakes and you're constantly focusing on your failures and even past sin, if y'all know the truth, we do this in everyday life. Make a mistake and see, don't you think about that twice as much as you think about the good thing that you did. You can do 10 good things at work and do two bad things and you will focus more on the bad things and the mistakes you made than on the good things that you did. But God said, no, that's not me. He said, just like Chronicles, I'm not finna recount all of your bad things. I'm not gonna recount all of this stuff that David did. I'm not gonna spend all this time and energy. So why are you? If God is not focused on your sin, then the question becomes, then why are you? If God is not focused on your past and your past mistakes, then the question becomes, why are you? God is leading us to times of refreshing. He wants to literally change our story. He wants to change our story, all of the past, all of the negativity, all of the things that has happened to us. He wants to put us in a place. He wants to bring us to a place where he says, I know you thought based on what had happened back then. I know you thought based on what people said about you. I know you thought based on your history that this is how your story was going to end. But I serve a God who will allow you to finish strong. I serve a God who says the way you started and even the way you ended up in the middle, maybe even the way you got toward the end does not have to be your story. He, the, the scripture tells us about a man that served God for 99 years and in the last year decided that he wanted to give his heart to the Lord. And the Bible says that that man will see God in paradise. So my word to you today is to allow God to change your story. Allow God to change your thinking. Allow God to change your attitude. Allow God to fortify your mind and to bring you back to peace and joy and, and to bring you through and bring you to the road to revival, the road to renewal. Because I believe that no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, no matter what may be going on, no matter what the enemy may be whispering to you even right now, I serve a God who will allow you to finish strong. I serve a God who will allow you to still win, to run, the scripture says, to run the race that is set before us. And I thank God that it's not given to the swift, neither the battle to the strong, but the one who endured. We're going to endure. If you're going to endure to the end, just give the Lord a praise right now. Say, Lord, I'll endure. I can finish strong, hallelujah. I can finish strong. I can be all that God has called me to be. And that's why it's so important that we simply have a word from the Lord. Did you know one word from the Lord can change the trajectory of your entire life? One word from the Lord. And God is so awesome because with God's word, he gives the grace to make the changes that need to be made in order that his word can be fulfilled in you. And the word of God works for many things because there's power in the word of God. And we forget that there's power in the word of God because for one, we don't even regularly read the word of God. I had a friend even this week having some troubles, having some money issues. And I said, you know what I want you to do? I want you to get a scripture. And I ended up having to send her a couple of them because again, and no judgment, but again, we don't read the word of God many times. And so she didn't even have any idea of, of what scripture to focus on. And so I sent her a couple scriptures and, and gave her some scriptures. I hope she meditated on them. But at the end of the day, by the end of that day, God had begun to turn things around in her life, just through the conversations that we were having, through the scriptures that we were reading, through, through the talk that we had, that God is faithful and God can do it. And that's the power of the word of God. 
getting to the point, getting to the place in God where we trust God to do what he said he would do. He may not come exactly when we want him to come, but, but anybody that ever had a testimony knows that he always shows up. He always shows himself. He's always faithful. Amen. Amen. We pray that today's message has been a blessing and makes an eternal impact on your life. Join us live on Sundays at 1245 p.m. Central Time. If you're in the St. Louis metro area, we meet at 1060 Chambers Road, just off Bell Fountain Road, about a mile south of Highway 270. You can also join us via Zoom. The login number is 314-720-8880. You can call that number to reach someone on our ministry team or text the word CONNECT there to be in the know regarding upcoming events. Again, that number is 314-720-8880. Relationship Church is the whole life church. So come grow with us.